This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. Today, we've got an awesome interview with somebody, one of you, somebody who had read the book, loved the book, not only decided to live the book, they decided to implement it in their company. We know when we speak at companies, when we talk to people who are business owners, they're trying to live it personally. And then they ask the question, how do I begin to actually implement this in the culture of my business, which is a huge opportunity for us to go into more. So I was very excited when I met the man that you are going to meet here today. We're going to hear his story about what he has done, and hopefully you will take away some lessons that you can bring into your professional life as well. So with that, let's get into my conversation with Rahman Sagal. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So walk me through what your business is. So my business is a company called Remarketing, and we are a design, digital, and, and PR agency here in the UK that focuses on the pharmaceutical sector. So we are a, a broad company in some senses in that we sell and provide our clients kind of marketing and digital support and content support, but predominantly to the pharmaceutical industry, the global pharmaceutical industry. Got it. And... How long ago was it that you read The One Thing? So I read The One Thing about two and a half, maybe three years ago now. What were your thoughts when you first read it? So what's interesting is the backstory of actually, I read a book actually just before The One Thing called um, The Morning Miracle. And that book kind of was very much about uh, using your mornings to develop positive morning routines. And reading was a key element of that. And, And I remember going on Amazon and typing in productivity books in this yellow book popped up the one thing and immediately got my attention and I, you know, one click and it was here the next day. And I remember opening the book and, and within the first six or seven pages, I was shouting at my wife saying, this is, this book's amazing. It's exactly what my life's been missing. So within reading about, I don't know, 20, 30 pages of the book, I realized that everything that the book was telling me, my life was almost kind of doing the exact opposite and that I was multitasking. I was saying yes to everything. I was not structured enough in, in what I was doing. And so it was a real kind of eye opener to me and the way I was living my life. And uh, and for that, I'm obviously very grateful for for the book. And for clarification, when you said the yellow book and everybody went, but the book's white. Uh, the, the, the book in the UK is actually yellow. So that's, <laughs> if you guys were going, but wait a minute, the book's white. No, it's yellow. 
It is. And interestingly enough, Jeff, about three weeks ago, uh, one of my staff was talking to another staff member about the One Thing book. And I was like, that's not the one thing. And then she was like, it is. And I looked at it and I looked at the author and I was like, I'm so confused. It was they'd obviously ordered it and it'd come as the white cover. Uh-huh. And I was I was really confused by the whole situation. Yep. So the vast majority of books in the world are white. However, our UK publisher, for whatever reason, they made it yellow. And I'm staring at a yellow copy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. So you mentioned that you were multitasking, trying to do too many things at once. Where did you start living this? What did that look like? And and we can go into the personal life. And I'm really curious about what you did with your company. So there's a few kind of key lessons that I, that I immediately kind of put into place. And I think I think first and foremost, the kind of myth around multitasking. And you know, I think in the UK, we're taught during university education and school education that multitasking is a, is a positive thing, and you know, you should be able to juggle lots of things. And you know, I have a very busy lifestyle. You know, I'm fast growing agency. I have two young children. I'm a marathon runner. I want to spend time with my family and then I've got my staff to deal with. I've got a lot of stuff going on. And what I was finding was that I was getting lots of little stuff done and not a lot of the big important stuff. So I wasn't really moving things forward at the speed that I would have hoped to. I think, you know, for the analogy, you guys think using the book about big stones in a jar and that type of thing. I think I attack my days now by looking for the big stones. So what is that one thing or those one, two, three things that are actually going to move this business forward and, and, you know, and help my team and actually really focus on those things and not get too bogged down with all the reactive small stuff that just is always there. That never goes away. And you have to just accept the fact that, that that's the case. And that I think has been the, certainly the, the key fundamental learning that I took from the book, that kind of single tasking and deep work is is the way to go. And it's certainly something that I reinforce with my team on a, on a daily basis and encouraging with all my staff at Remarketing. First, I, I applaud you because a lot of people read the book. They learn about the fact that multitasking is a lie, that it's accounting for roughly 28% of our day. And they still struggle to switch from multitasking to monotasking or single tasking. You did it and you took it to the next level. Talk to us about, you, you mentioned early on, you, you specifically focus on pharmaceutical companies. Was that always the case? Um, that's a really good question, actually, because when I started the business eight years ago, it was effectively just focused on companies in science and pharmaceuticals and, and the contract services sector within pharmaceuticals. And then, and actually, ironically, we, over the next few years, ended up doing lots in other sectors. And we still do have some clients in other sectors. But I feel like we lost our way a little bit um, over the next few years and tried to be kind of too many things to too many people and kind of lost our reason for being to an extent. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we did some analysis of our client base and decided that actually we'd rather be the best in the world in our kind of niche that we're in. And and a lot of that is is about is actually about single focus. And it's given us real clarity in terms of the types of people we recruit, types of events we go to, the business development we do, the um, the tone of our website, who we're who we're trying to um, attract to the business, and again that that kind of being focused on a on a on a, if you like a niche market, it just seems to make everything a lot clearer. And certainly in the in the conversations I have with my clients, 
what always worries me in a first conversation is when a company says, oh, look, we want to be the company for everyone in the entire industry. I think that's a really dangerous thing to do. If you're an Amazon or a Google, fair enough, you can get away with that. But the majority of the companies, I think, would benefit from being a little bit more, I suppose, uh, niche focused and single minded and, and, and becoming the best in a particular segment of the market. Well, Gary Keller talks about that exact example in a class he teaches called Empire Builders, where he talks about identifying, as you say, your niche. He uses the Amazon example. Amazon did not earn the right to serve everyone with everything by starting that way. They started by selling books. That was it. It was books. And they became the best in the world at selling books. Then they earned the right to expand their focus. What I love about what you've done, Ramon, is instead of just looking and trying to serve everyone, you did an 80-20 analysis on your customers. And you said, who's the 20% that we're going to serve that's going to give us the 80% of the results? Let's go all in there. Here's my question for you, the listener. Do you wake up every single day trying to get 80% of your customers to say yes to you? What would happen if you were to flip it And instead, you woke up every single day trying to get 80% of your customers to say no to you so that the right 20% could say yes. What would that do for your business? Ramon, when you chose to focus on the niche, what happened in terms of the finances of the business? So... There's a, there's a gentleman by the name of Ian Altman who I have to thank for, for kind of coaching me and reading his, um, or listening to his podcast and his blogs has, has kind of helped me in terms of being brave and having the courage and having the courage to be able to stick to our guns and do this. And what we find is in the time that we focused, I think our, in the last year alone, our business has grown 71% at sales revenue growth, which it's pretty good going. I think it was about 45, maybe 50% the year before. So we're seeing, and we, and we we genuinely try to grow our business in an incremental, gradual way. We are not the type of company that's trying to grow crazy quick to sell or anything like that. That's not the strategy of the business is to try and grow in a sensible manner. And, and despite that, we are growing really quickly. And I can put that down to the, the type of people that we're having conversations with, we are meaningful to them, right? So we're not trying to be something to them that we're not. We are immediately um, and genuinely of interest to them because we we solve a problem. We speak their same language. We know the industry. We've solved the problem lots of times. And that's that's certainly what I found in my business has been a, a very powerful place to be, that we can help our clients solve their problems in a way that we know that we tend to succeed in, you know, marketing services, PR digital services. There isn't always an exact formula to it, but we have enough of the fundamentals that we've been able to make a huge impact and, and obviously grow our business. And at the same time, we've, you know, we say, we ha- we do say no to lots of business. And I know that sounds a bit crazy, but, um, you know, I think at the at last count, I think it's eight, 8% or eight out of 10 inquiries we get, we say no to because we just say, Hey, we're not the right fit for you. And again, you know, some people think that's crazy, but I'd rather refer that business to someone who can do a better job than us. And it doesn't end in tears. And, and ultimately that client gets the right um, solution for, for whatever problem they have. I love it. I want to talk about time blocking. This is something every time we speak at a company, we ask people to raise their hands if they've ever scheduled time with themselves ever to do something that mattered. Every hand goes up. And then we say, keep them up. 
do you have the habit of every single day scheduling time with yourself to do your most important work and you crush the distractions that pop up and almost every hand goes down. You have taken this and brought it into the culture of your company. Talk to us about this. So I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for time blocks. And, and I have to be honest and say, you know, I've tried different versions of time blocks. When I read the book, actually, initially, I tried to do uh, meeting days. So I think Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I would have meetings and Thursday and Tuesdays and Thursdays with no meetings. And then I had business development days, and marketing days and client days. And and actually, the, uh, dedicating days to time blocks actually didn't work for me in my business. And what I do now is actually I dedicate. So every single day, I think half one to one uh, thirty till 3.30 is just dedicated to meetings. So people know they can put meetings in those slots. And I have time then dedicated in mornings for uh, moving, whether it's marketing or business development or client work. What that's allowed me to do is just focus on the big stones and, and actually you know, and move things forward. But at the same time, what we've done in our business is create like zone times. So, I mean, I'll, I'll send you a picture, um, you know, once we're done, Jeff, and, and show you, we have like a, you know, like a, at a radio station when the, the speaker is on air, we actually have an on air sign. So at nine o'clock in the morning, the on air sign goes and everyone is in the zone. So they are time blocking for their most important work. And that's, that goes on till 1130 in the morning and the light goes off. Um, and then it comes back on, I think around two o'clock in the afternoon and goes off around four o'clock. And it's all around, uh, and I think it's might be your theory, this the kind of pulse and pause theory, this idea that you absolutely use that time as effectively as possible, minimize distractions, whether it's Slack or um, or emails or you know texting or whatever or social and actually focus on the task at hand. But then we make time to play in between. And what we tend to find is when, when the light goes off, we all have a great laugh together and we have a cup of tea and coffee and biscuits and whatever. And we, we, we just have a bit of conversation and banter between us all. And, but then, you know, the light goes back on and we're back in the zone time and that kind of zone time language is very similar to time blocks. And it's been a really uh, effective uh, method for getting our company to produce the best work that we possibly can and produce world-class work for our clients. And, and I put that absolutely down to being able to focus solely on the task at hand and, and time blocking is a, is really useful way of, of, of doing that. What did it look like when you first implemented that? Because when we teach people, when they go through our master course on this called Time Blocking Mastery, they get it. They get the idea, okay, I need to schedule this time with myself to do my most important work. And then they realize that the world is conspiring against them. People are emailing them. People are calling them. People are texting them. People are stopping by with, hey, do you got a minute? What did it look like to change the mindset of the culture so people understand this is not the time for those things? Yeah, it, it was difficult, right? So it, we, you know, I I went from being the yes guy. You know, I'm I'm naturally love helping people, so I'm the guy when everyone wants a minute, I'll give them a minute. And a lot of the learning of the book was about saying no. And I've read lots about you know being a more assertive and actually protecting my time. And I think. I was able to do that, albeit, you know, it wasn't an easy thing. And that kind of set the tone throughout the rest of the business that this is how we need to behave in the business. And that over time does set, certainly what I found is setting the kind of culture of the business. And I think, I think people were also seeing the quality of work I was producing. And whereas I look very busy and I am very busy, I was also able to focus on those important rather than urgent projects and move those forward, um, you know, in terms of the vision of the company, in terms of the um, sales strategy at a company and, and and that type of thing, which were 
got our classes big, 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 ugly stones that needed to be done. And I was able to do that. And I think over time, the culture of our business has definitely evolved to being that it really, uh, they see that as a precious part of, of the way that we do business. And you have to be disciplined. I mean, you know, I'm having this conversation with you and I have everything switched off on my computer, right? I have my Evernote open and nothing else. So, and that's how I work because the minute I see a little red dot on my email or my Slack, mm-hmm. I am naturally curious and I have a total monkey mind and I can't deal with that. And, and also, you know, I, on my phone now, I took, you know, all Facebook, Twitter, any social, any WhatsApp, n- no notifications get through to me. I'm, I'm in control of that. So email notifications don't come to me. When I'm ready to deal with that, I press the button. The only thing I, I allowed call, I allow calls um, and texts, but again, I turn my phone upside down and turn my tones off. So I'm just not distracted by it. And I, I imagine every person will, will find their own way. And I've, I've tried things that haven't worked. And, but what I found for me is that, you know, just not allowing yourself to get distracted, to turn it off all the things that distract you. And it gives you the best possible chance of producing the, you, you know, that your finest work and, and, and that's something that I still struggle at and I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm comparing myself now. I look at myself two years ago to now and I'm a completely different animal in terms of productivity, in terms of what I get done and, and the level of work I can accomplish. And the same with, with my staff and my team here in the business. I want to clarify something. You read the book. Did a switch just get flipped where all of a sudden you're time blocking, you're saying no to other people, you are silencing the notifications, you're controlling your time? Or did it start by knocking down one domino that led to the next? Definitely dominoes. Yeah, definitely the domino thing. I think I think it's really difficult to try and become, go from, you know, light to darkness or darkness to light. I think that's a difficult transition. And I, what I found is for every domino I was knocking over, I was seeing a greater benefit. You know, I keep a journal every day and, and that, so I use the five minute journal and I keep a journal and at the end of the month, I reflect back on my time. And what I was also finding was in my journal is every day, what could you do better? I could have focused more. I could have not got distracted or I'm terrible at distracting other people. So that's something I'm constantly working on. So, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, going to just chat to the guys about football or real football, not the American football. <laughs> I was waiting for the shot. There. <laughs> you know, and speak to my team, but I'm, I, it's something I am constantly working at. And, you know, I've learned to kind of keep track of, of, you know, there's a, there's Tim Ferriss says the some of the phrase, you know, uh, what doesn't get measured, doesn't get managed. I'm big on measuring everything that I do myself and actually being very self analytical. And that's allowed me to try and cut out things that, I know distract me and that I know have a detrimental effect on me and the way I work and, and then in turn my colleagues in the business. And so over time I've managed to, I suppose, cage my monkey mind and and actually as a result be a more productive and well-rounded kind of individual. Maybe my team and my family will say something different, but um and it's come with some sacrifice. I mean, I've got to be honest, I mean, in the last few years I've there's probably friendships and there's there's other things in my life that have were probably more pre, you know prevalent in my life a couple of years ago that are not now because you you can't have your cake and eat it all type of thing and so it does come with some sacrifice and I think you know your listeners need to be aware of that that you know it's not all kind of 
<laughs> it's not all kind of roses and but ultimately it comes back to what your goals are for your life and what's the most important thing for you and for me yeah. it's all about growing this business in the most successful way I can you know being a good dad being a good family member being a good husband and a good colleague and these are the things that are important to me and so they take priority over anything else and and it just it is what it is that whether it's relationships or um or activities you know I used to play football three times a week and I only play football once now and it, it is what it is and that would have that took time to make that change in my life but that I suppose the flip side is that if, is is growth in myself and my business and my finances and my time with my family and, and all that type of thing. What you're acknowledging is that is the number one lie of productivity. People, most of the time subconsciously, treat everything like it matters equally. You said it. You know, there's all these relationships that I am not as present in. I'm not investing in as much. I'm not playing football as much as I used to. You're recognizing these are the handful of things that really matter to me and you are giving them the disproportionate share that they deserve. My question for the people who are listening to this, where in your life are you treating everything like it matters equally? Where in your life are you showing up, not intentionally trying to do it all, Deep down knowing that you really should be going smaller. You should be giving a single area a disproportionate share of your time. The follow-up question to that is, what will it take for you to make a change? And how can you narrow it down to that first domino? That one thing that you can do that will at least start building the momentum of that domino run so that you fast forward a few years like Ramon and it's not just how he manages his time, it's actually affected the way the customers he chooses to get into business with, the way he has trained his employees to operate, the relationships he chooses to invest in and which ones he chooses not to invest in. When you do one thing, the right thing, it can topple over many things. Will you choose to leverage the domino effect today? Ramon, I want to, before we wrap up, I want to talk about how you invest your time in your role. When you and I first spoke, you talked about asking the question, what are the five reasons that I get paid? Talk to us about this a little bit. Yeah. So this is, this is something very recent and I'm, I'm, I absolutely love to share with your um, listeners and I'm, I'm not sure where I got this idea from, but it was either from a book or a podcast and it was kind of, it came around the idea of, you know, every day I go to work and, you know, even as the owner of the business, I get paid to do my job and my staff get paid to do their job. And, and the idea was, well, what am I actually getting paid for? I do lots of things, but what, what ultimately does the output and results look like and the, the success look like? And, I challenge myself to write down five things. And I know you talk about, you talk, it's the one thing, but often it's not just the one thing. There are a number of things. And in a role, like running an international agency, like I do it, it's not just one thing. And I got it down to five and it was really difficult to do that. So for me, it was things like um, the five things are, you know, creating and communicating the kind of vision and direction of the business. So kind of steering the ship, attracting and retaining and nurturing my team, um, converting and attracting and committing the right type of clients, ensuring the financial stability 
and future of the business and then using my skills and experience to add value to my clients and, and projects. And those five things are fundamental to ha- why I am paid to do my job. So what I do now is whatever I'm working on, I, I have that list on my on my monitor at my, in my office and I just make sure that it's at least 80% of the time, if not more, it should be relating to one of those things. And if I'm not doing one of, if I'm doing something that does not relate back to one of those things, then I have to ask the question why I'm doing it. And if I shouldn't be doing it, I have to then delegate it or eliminate it or automate it in somewhere and get, get rid of it because I should not be doing that task. And interestingly enough, since we first spoke is I've just done appraisals with my, my team and as part of their appraisal processes, they've all done the same. So they've all come back with the five reasons that they get, they, they get paid effectively. So it takes a, you know, a, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in terms of the UK, you have, or in Europe, you have job specifications and job roles written down. And I just want to kind of cut all the <laughs> the kind of BS and get that down to five reasons. And then each of my staff gets a grade out of 10 for those reasons. And that forms part of their appraisal process. And what's as interesting as the scores and the performance or the, the, the kind of journey you go through in your mind to work out what those five things are. And I think for your listeners, it ultimately when you're at work in particular, it's where should be you should be spending your time. And if you've got these things as reference points, then certainly it might be really useful for them to be able to say, you know, is this task I'm doing part of a bigger purpose for my role? And if it's not, get rid of it and move on and do something different. And that's working well for me. And, you know, I'd encourage your listeners and to try the same thing because actually it's a, it's a useful exercise. Last week, I, I sent a quiz out to the people who are members of our Living Your One Thing community. And we asked them what's been, one of the questions of many that we asked was, what's been the biggest value you've gotten so far? The overwhelming answer has been clarity. And when they meet, when they say clarity, what they mean is we have trained them to get very clear. Like you said, what is my 20%? What are those handful of things? I'm not talking the laundry list, the vital few things that I absolutely must do in my job. When you get that level of clarity accountability closely follows. Not the type of accountability where you have somebody tapping you on the shoulder saying, are you doing the right thing? I'm talking about developing the mindset of a person who is accountable. When you know what, in Ramon's case, his the five reasons that he gets paid, he doesn't need somebody sitting there saying, why are you an email? He knows he is not acting in order of priority. That single shift makes such a big change in terms of how you invest your time it is incredible. I would highly encourage every single person who is listening to this, if you've not already done this, to physically write down what your 20% is. Ask the question, are you giving your 20% the disproportionate share of your time? If we were to look at your calendar and physically look at the appointments that were scheduled, would we see at least 20% of your time scheduled for your 20% work? Yeah, that's that's great advice, um, Jeff. And I don't know in in, in your business, but in our business, we we still use uh, timesheet systems. So we monitor ind- every individual in the business has a kind of a, a platform called Harvest that we use. That you put in your time against whether it's a client project or an internal project every day. And what I do at the end of every single month is I look back on where my time has been spent, just to make sure I'm spending my time in in the right places and. 
if you've not worked in a consultancy type environment, it's difficult to keep timesheets because it's not <laughs> normal. Uh, but for anyone that's worked in a, in a, whether it's a professional services role, it's pretty common to, to have a timesheet type um, approach and being able to reflect back on the month that you've had or the quarter that you've had to just, I suppose, re-collaborate and make sure that you were, that you're spending your time in the right areas is, is, is a really worthwhile exercise. And I think certainly what I found as well as reflection is something I would really encourage to people. And you asked earlier on about you know, what we do in our business that to encourage kind of the types of things you talk about. And the one thing, the other thing we do, we give um, staff a, a create day every month. And the idea behind that is you just take yourself away from the business and you think about things that are not the day in, day out work and think about the bigger picture and reflect. And again, that's something that most companies just would never do because it's they see it as a waste of resource. But I can tell you that we've had some of the best ideas that have shaped our company that have come from people just not being in in the business every day and actually going out and spending time in an art gallery or in a coffee shop or, you know, just in the garden at home or whatever, and just reflecting on the, what they're doing and where they're adding the greatest value and where they should be doing, spending their time going forward. And for any entrepreneur or professional, that's something if you can, that reflection time and looking at things outside of the office is such an important thing to do. And it's such an underrated thing that can make a, a huge impact. I love it. I love it. Well, Ramon, if there's somebody who's listening to this who goes, hey, I'm a pharmaceutical company and you're awesome. Where can they learn more about you? Yeah, sure. I mean, so if they can find us at, you know, remarketing, or if you just Google remarketing, you should, our website should pop up. And, and it, that's R-U-H marketing. It's R-A marketing. Oh, so it's R-A remarketing. marketing. All and then I'm on um, LinkedIn. So just look for my name on LinkedIn. I think it's Romantical UK. So, you know, drop me a message or an invite. And likewise on Twitter, it's, I think my username is <laughs> Ramanelli, which is R-A-M-A-N-E-L-L-I, which is inspired by an Italian footballer, but that's a different story altogether. So, yeah. And I just obviously want to just say thanks, Jeff. I'm a huge fan of the book and of your podcast. And you know, it's an absolute pleasure to be a guest on your show. And I hope some of my learnings on my kind of one thing journey. And it is a journey because it's always never ending and it's always refining and improving. And And I just hope it's it's added some value to the, the lives of your listeners. And my kind of final piece of advice, would it would be just give it a shot, you know, try one or two dominoes and see if they make an impact on your life. And certainly something I've found is good habits lead to more good habits and, and seem to knock bad habits on the head and um, a, a good example I can I can give you is I started when I read the around the time I read the one thing I started running more with a friend of mine and we both like to drink and go on a night out and stuff like that but we started training for a marathon and we've we've since done three marathons and actually running you know, 20 miles on a Sunday morning means you can't go out and have five pints six pints the night before so it had real knock-on effect of a good one good habit knocked a bad habit out of the window and i think that's something that the one thing kind of philosophy definitely does and, and something i would definitely encourage your listeners i love it well ron thank you very much man i appreciate you coming on the show i appreciate you being a supporter and and most importantly just being an example of what it looks like to live the book so thank you my pleasure thank you well there you have it my conversation with ron Segal. Folks, we love, love when you reach out to us, sharing your story of how you are living the one thing. 
that's how Ramon and I got connected. He reached out and said, I am a fan. This is what I have been doing. And I jumped on that at the opportunity to interview him. You're figuring out now that we are not like every other podcast. Our goal is not just to puff our chest out and say, look at this influencer or expert guru that we are featuring. That's not what we're doing. The majority of our episodes are featuring you. My question is, are you living the book? If you are and you're having awesome success, email us, jeff at the one thing.com. That's with the number one in that email. So jeff at the one thing.com. Inez will end up filtering it through and, and we'll reach out if, if she thinks it's of interest. We love the opportunity to feature you. So thank you very much again, Ramon, for being on the show. Folks, if you are asking the question, how do I get started on this? I will encourage you very strongly to go to the one thing.com slash membership. Get on the wait list for living your one thing. We open it publicly a handful of times a year. Everything that Ramon has talked about implementing is what we train in the community. So if you'd like to have us there as your accountability partner in beginning to live the book on a much deeper level, that is the place, the one thing.com slash membership. If you are not yet subscribed to the show, please go ahead and click that button. We want all future episodes to be downloaded with you so you do not miss a single great episode again like the one we just had with Ramon. And if this has brought value to you, please share it with somebody. I know that I can already tell that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to start to share this inside their organizations. Hopefully this will spark an idea. And if you have an idea on how you've been able to implement this in your company, we want to hear it because we may be featuring you as well. Before we go, I want to be very clear how you can implement this. The thing that stands out to me most about Ramon's story is that he didn't try to do it all. He didn't get inspired by the book or the podcast and try to do it all. He started with one thing, which led to the next, which led to the next, which led to the next. And like he talked about the end... There's a halo effect that takes over. When you end up forming a habit, it may crush another habit. It may spawn another habit. When you do one thing, the right thing, it will topple over many things. How can you get started today? We'll see you in the next episode.